Aloha and good morning. Welcome. Morning. Yeah, Women on Fire podcast here. I'm Danielle. Number 16. Oh, all right. 16. I already lost track. <laughs> Sweet 16. You remembered last time, so this is the oh. collective brain moment. Yeah, see, we're a good team. Got it. Got each other's backs here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we are here today fired up about placentas and eating them. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the name of the podcast. I don't know. We could get really creative with all these podcast names. Yes, we could. Why not? This is, yeah. Well, this got sparked by a dear friend oh dr annie that's been on our podcast actually yeah her episode is the one about pelvic floor health so you can go check that out uh she texted me the other day she's like hey do you have a resource for info regarding placenta encapsulation and i was like not really (laughs) um because i realized you know by and large it's just been the wisdom that we share from woman to woman and right the fact that every other animal or mammal excuse me besides us consumes their placenta so that's been good enough for me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm like that's that's all I need to hear Uh, but it invited me to go down the rabbit hole and I did and I went to bed at like two last night diving into stuff I found out some cool stuff yeah Uh, so that's what we're going to dive into. So first it's a great of all, topic. It's, um, it it's something that we like to say that the, you know, it's the baby's gift to the mother. The baby comes and brings its own, um, beautiful thank you gift, um, bag of medicine all wrapped up in that amniotic sac. You know, when I hear you say that, I get this vision of, you know, when, like the visions of a little kid like running away from home and he's got like his little bag of stuff tied to a stick over his their shoulder <laughs> right right i think of like christmas elves like carrying oh. santa's sack oh. <laughs> <laughs> All of the best gifts in the world <laughs> all the vitality gifts right it's your push present mamas it's your push present (laughs) oh i like that one yeah right so obviously you can hear where we stand on the topic (laughs) if it wasn't obvious already um so uh, okay so maybe you know but how in the world do you pronounce the term like is it placenta Placenta phagy. Placenta phagy. Yeah, phagy. Right. Any way I try it, it sounds weird. <laughs> it does. It does sound weird. Placenta phagy. I don't know. That's just the term placenta. for the consumption of yeah. you know, the placenta. So that's the practice of eating it. So. Where do we start? Well, cool thing is, you know, this whole woman to wis- woman wisdom is like you taught me how to encapsulate and prepare it for women. Um, so thank you for that. 
you know, of course. passing along the wisdom. Uh, and I learned from a wise woman as well. Yeah. And we'll carry that on. We will carry mm -hmm. it on. Uh, and so grateful for that connection and really inviting each other to re-embrace the placenta, right? It's not just some nasty medical ways that, you know, is of no relevance. Like, no, without it, uh, you know, without a properly functioning placenta, like baby wouldn't be okay. So thank you, placenta, right? They're amazing. Um, so, yeah. Well, and even if I have families that are not interested in placenta encapsulation, um, sometimes they want to bury it or set it up to see the first time they take the baby to the ocean. And if they don't want to do either of those things and they just want to throw it in the trash, I ask if I can bury it at my house. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't have to eat it to honor it. There's so many ways to do that, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, eating it's just... You know, I've never seen a cat or a dog give birth, but I've seen plenty of videos and stories from people of like, yeah, and then they totally just ate the placenta. <laughs> I watched my kitty eat her four placentas from her oh. four babies the week before my son was born. It was pretty oh, great. Oh, okay. She just purred those babies out and I was like, okay, oh. this is what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't like quite the bet. same. Didn't look the same. <laughs> Right, just one baby. Back to the last there. podcast we had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Your cat made it look easy. <laughs> oh, well, you know, she was, yeah, she, she doesn't have all that indoctrined. Um, yeah. Right, extra Doctrine stuff to work through. Stuff, yeah. She's just yeah. like, okay, this is happening now. But <laughs> she did eat her placentas, and that was also pretty neat. Yeah, wow. totally. Yeah. You guys can go have a bunch of fun Googling animal placentas or animal eating placenta Google images. So, or whatever yeah. image source you want to look up. There's amazing <laughs> pictures. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll actually probably post some of them because I think they're so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about that, you know, like if you, if you're not interested in, um, consuming your placenta, we do encourage you to honor it in some way. And the um, gist of this podcast, however, is what about it? What about the consumption of your placenta? Totally right. So different ways to honor it, but right now it's just like the eating part of it. So, so yeah, animals do eat their placenta raw, right? I mean, they're like not bringing out a fork and knife or cooking it or whatever. It's just a raw placenta. They're just gnawing at it, digging right in. <laughs> and I've yet to see a human do that. Actually, actually, I, I sort of saw it, but it was a dad. Oh, no. There, there's two different couples. The dads were so into it. And it was like raw placenta. They did like sashimi style. And actually, one of the moms was really into it, and I was amazed because they were eating a lot of it. And they had, they literally had shoyu. They put the placenta in the shoyu. Mm. They totally did. Yeah. Dang. But that's not super common. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's a little less common. But what you might find is that if you are being tended to by a more traditional practicing um, care provider that one of the things that they will talk about is that if a mother has a hemorrhage um, postpartum 
that, or a, a heavy bleed, because hemorrhage is a relative term, um, that, um, and not that we're giving medical advice, uh, never medical advice, just sharing stories and information and experiences. Um, <laughs> but that is not an, it, it is a common practice for a traditional practitioner to offer um, some of the raw placenta if they are witnessing a heavy bleed, um, that they tuck it into their cheek or that they swallow a piece or put it under their tongue. And there is um, experience-based um, evidence that that is an effective um, protocol. Right, in that case, it's totally a raw little chunk of your placenta. Another thing that I learned recently was that the umbilical cord can have a similar effect. What I heard wasn't necessarily eating the umbilical cord, although maybe that would work, but it was actually sucking on the cord. The stem cell blood. Totally. And then you know what, Jamie? That same week, it was like a couple days later, I came across a video of a gorilla totally just like sucking up on the placenta like <laughs> like having a blast sucking on this plus, uh, cord excuse me well it's very common in medical practice to donate your cord blood right like oh hurry quick clamp cut and donate it for a child who might need it now i personally have some reservations about that simply because your baby needs that blood um, and there's so many studies now that shows that babies should be getting, you know, delayed cord clamping or um, clamping and cutting after <laughs> delivery of the placenta. But nevertheless, it is very common practice for um, cl early clamping and cutting and um, collection of cord blood because it is so full of stem cells and can rejuvenate and help support the healing of um, all kinds of people. <laughs> Not just other babies, other children, but um, people in general. And we know that stem cells are um, not legal in America, but they are um, being used in other countries pretty prevalently. Yeah, <clears throat> that is worthy of its own episode. Yes. But yes, I've got <laughs> reservations there too with people being charged to save their cord blood like thousands of dollars and then yeah to save them to use them maybe for that same kid years down the line but like if you know it's so valuable why don't you just let the kid have them right now for free back to our actual topic though and consuming the placenta right so most people aren't actually consuming it raw like our mammal counterparts uh, however, some people do, like I mentioned, the sashimi folks, but other options are just cutting it up into little bite-sized pieces and putting it in your fridge. And, you know, you can like wrap them and you know, sell same kind of stuff um, so that they can be individualized and you can just take out that one or two pieces whenever you want, um, whether it's just to swallow it or put it in a smoothie. Um, so like the raw consumption can be embraced and some people actually will keep a few raw pieces in the fridge for a couple days and take them that way, usually while they're waiting around for their capsules to come back. 
but yeah you know um i personally do wish more people embrace the raw consumption part of it but i get it people there's a lot of an ick factor still being worked through um and i can't make people do what i want them to do and i'm not interested in doing that either um but yeah because often folks will be like i'll offer like well do you want me to just cut it up in pieces and freeze it they're like yeah gross no thank you pills are cool um just because we're more used to that that seems like a more approachable form so i think that's well, and people, people who are sort of turned off by it too are like i'm gonna eat my own body part yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i always my response to that is well at least you know what grew it you know what you uh -huh. consumed. I mean, totally. totally. Had control of like how you made that medicine. Right? <laughs> it was already inside of you at one point, not just going to be at another part of you. <laughs> it's not that different. Uh, yeah. And I remember one time I posted about a placenta. It was about encapsulation specifically. And I was totally being like, if you want me to encapsulate, like I can do that for you. And I totally got railed by someone, you know, bringing me or whatever, criticizing me for, you know, turning this into a business and commodifying the placenta. Wait, that happened to me too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The truth is I can totally see those sides of the argument because like, I don't want to like, commodifying things necessarily but that's not why I'm doing it that's not the focus of it and if I could do it for free all the time um then sure and like everything else we do I mean exactly. if we could just attend births and be gone for days and have it have no exactly. effect on our economic That'd existence that would be wonderful that, that would be the greatest gift for a midwife I think to 100%. be able to give uh, fully and without that re restraint or restriction yeah yeah like if I didn't have to pay a phone bill and a car bill and gas like that'd be great and if it was easy to attend births and hold another job oh. <laughs> but it's not yeah, it's because not. people want you there nine to five or six to three or whatever yeah and babies come whenever they want they do and eventually bosses don't like that you're unreliable very unreliable <laughs> or that oh. you're committed to something else more right you don't prioritize that because that's not the priority the priority is showing up for the birth so if i can't pay my phone then you can't call me to let me know you're in labor or that it's time to pick up your placenta and if i don't have gas in the car to go get it i can't get you know like i wish i could just have someone show up with a horse and buggy at my doorstep and just tell me they're in labor let's go like shoot i'll just get on the carriage and go but um, even that horse has to eat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yes he does where does he get his food what are you gonna do feed him the placenta he might like it, might like it. that might work out might be fine actually <laughs> so so Anyways, I guess I did want to address that because sure, I can see that side of it. Like, why are you charging people for their own medicine? It's like, well, I mean, they want to pay me. They want it. Like, I've totally told people, like, this is how you can do it for yourself. And some people do it. And then some people are like, I got too much going on. Can you just do it, please? You know? Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, 
So I think that it is funny that we've both been publicly. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it's totally something that people are concerned about. And like I said, I get it and I can respect it, but also please don't demonize me just like it's easy to judge a book by its cover or just have assumptions or like that's just surface level stuff the fact that sure I encapsulated and people pay me for it sure I guess too if you were really like capitalizing off of it that's very different than if you are just you know um time and time and energy right this is yeah. back to that whole, right? Like building an empire or abundance or whatnot. Right. Okay. And, and money is just, a, it, it's an energetic exchange. I mean, that's where we're at in modern society, you yeah. know? I mean, it's not to say that we wouldn't trade for fresh fruits and vegetables or work on Ooh. our house or whatever. Yeah. It's just an energetic exchange and totally. it's, you know, monetary funds have been demonized on such a level, but the reality is that is, you know, how our society does its existence. And so um, where people can't trade or whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. and it has to be something that is also, you know, that that person receiving the trade needs as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, right. I'm not becoming a millionaire by doing this. <laughs> by <laughs> it. In case someone was under that impression, um, I'm sorry to let you down. That is not the case. <laughs> I will actually use this to segue into part of the rabbit hole I found myself in last night, which was okay. So I have heard that placentas are consumed in like traditional Chinese medicine, and that people will consume other people's placentas, right? So based on that, I was like, well, I'm just going to look up, like, can I go buy placenta somewhere? And so I just went to, like, Google shopping and texting placenta. And, oh, my gosh. It wasn't human placentas, to be fair. It wasn't. I maybe didn't dig deep enough, though. But just right off the bat, on the first page, there are so many different brands of sheep placenta and deer placenta and there was horse placenta there's like capsules and gels and serums and powders and and it's even on amazon you can go on amazon right now and get yourself a whole bunch of sheep placenta (laughs) yeah well it's used in like facial creams and it is i mean placenta is used in chinese medicine though it's often animal as well mm. livestock and whatnot as well um okay. yeah well i found it fascinating that there's all these brands out there and they're all saying you know like right like you said it's to it's like the facial serum the anti-aging the wrinkle cream the hydrate your skin hydrate your hair um fountain of youth totally and they can make all these claims yet the consumption of human placenta gets so heavily criticized. Well, it's, I mean, let's not forget that once your baby reaches talking and walking stage, they should probably not be drinking mother's milk anymore. They should be drinking some other animal's milk. Right. (laughs) It's like, so you're saying they still need milk? (laughs) (laughs) But they're too, because they can ask for it, they can't have human milk anymore? Yeah. 
Right. We're, we're coming at why, it. Why is, why is our, what our body produces so much worse than what you grow on the farm? Because women's bodies are dirty. Ew. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> but that's really the paradigm that that kind of thinking comes from, right? It's like women, indigenous people, humans that try to do something to take charge of their lives and their health, like always get overly criticized, right? Reclaiming our ways of living uh, to like be in tune with nature and whatever, just be self-reliant. It's, you know, for whatever reasons, always becomes heavily criticized. Like I remember with the Oni steaming. Well, currently, like many OBs, gynecologists, right, all the quote unquote professional experts always come out bashing yoni steaming and saying like it's gonna mess up your pH, it's gonna cause infections, it's you're you know, like you're gonna burn yourself, you're it's dangerous, it's bad for you. Like these are the same people that throw around the pill like candy to suppress people's periods like it's no big deal like they hand out germicides and you know hormonal therapies which i'm not saying don't have a place but but it's all experimental yeah i mean look at what happened to all these women who were on hormone replacement therapy who ended up having actually complications from those things right and so they've had to tweak and modify and tweak and modify and tweak and modify and and that whole initial generation of women with cancers and things because there was it was touted as approved and tested and then aftermarket research showed that oh well if we had surveillance it for longer we would find out that you know, we could have prevented all these, we were saying we were preventing all these deaths, but actually we traded it for a different thing. Right. Oh, sorry. We didn't study it accurately enough. Or Thanks for enough. participating in our study. Uh-huh. Right. After the fact. So, right. But steam is the danger here. That's the dangerous intervention that's going to mess you up that you got to watch out for. That's, the one that you well, and it do. comes back to that capitalization thing. If you can't capitalize off of yeah. it, if it's something that you can do privately in your own world, if you can grow your own herbs and take your own supplements, and right. you know, then there's if there's no money in it, then it yeah, it's very challenging. It is. And, it's, and everything has to be studied in order to be validated, it almost seems like. You know, the benefits mm -hmm. of delayed cord clamping, where this was done and done and done for centuries, and then we stopped doing it, and then we needed proof in order to be allowed yeah. to get a, have our babies receive all their blood. Mm-hmm. Right. To we have to prove that nature works on its own. Yeah, we can't just see that it has worked well for and a lot of times trying to fix problems creates unforeseen problems. And we have talked about this, and this is, is even as far as intervention and birth practices and whatnot. So Yeah. It's it's just you know, people who are pregnant are told all the time to be careful of what you consume, right? Like 
there's all these very extensive lists of what you can't be eating while you're pregnant, right? Watch out for the soft cheese. I had a friend, um, like this was very surprising. She was told not to eat fermented food while pregnant, which at the time when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, this whole time I've been learning about how that's like exactly the opposite of what you should do. <laughs> totally embrace the fermented foods for so many reasons. And, um, but where they're coming from is right. There's a concern of blood, uh, foodborne pathogens and, and sure. If you've never eaten fermented foods, maybe don't try exploring while you're pregnant. Maybe, maybe not, but, but it was just surprising. Um, but don't worry, totally have narcotics and morphines and fentanyl in labor. I'm not saying that, you know, like, I'm not totally trying to bash on that. Like, that's a bad idea. I'm just saying it's funny what the medical world chooses to say is bad and what's totally cool, no problem. Well, and how short things are really studied before they're released as, I mean, uh, Okay, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I know, but that, I, I know. Went somewhere. But, um, but like current situation, I'll just say that. Um, and how short thing, short term things are studied and then released as safe, and then the aftermarket research um, again that um, create the the longer term of, you know, we can, we can study things. And then once they're out on the market in a larger population, then we study them for longer and longer and then find that maybe actually that, you know, like what is the long term, not the four weeks or the six months, but 10 years, what are those long term effects? Right. We don't know. And well, that's the thing with placenta consumption is that there isn't a lot of studies out there on it. It's kind of starting to be, uh, to bring in a little more attention from the research community. Um, So there's a little bit now, like a handful of studies. But like you said, if there isn't studies or articles to prove it, then, then they just default on oh, well, there's no evidence for that. Well, yeah, there's no evidence if you don't study it. Um, so we don't have enough <laughs> out there. Well, right it's now. also funny what we study. So I was listening yeah. to the radio <laughs> with my kids on the way to school yesterday. And they were like, studies show that if, your ring, if a man's ring finger is longer than his, or as long as his middle finger, then women find him sexier. Oh my and my God. son <sighs> is like, this is what people are studying? <laughs> like, who, who, how did they get that grant is what I'm wondering. <laughs> right? Seriously. Who thought that would be a thing? Like, huh, that's my hypothesis. I'm going to look into it. I don't know. I don't get it either. But okay, so on that same train of thought, down the rabbit hole last night, Jamie, there are so many studies out there on, let me get the right term. I think it's porcine placenta is what they call it. Whatever. It's just pork placentas. Yeah. Porcine placentas are studied. There's so many studies and they tend to favor it as far as it like yes hydrating your skin and making your skin healthier and and less wrinkly and so they're out there 
taking time to study how pig placenta extracts and supplements can support your skin well-being. Why is no so one- why would a humans not? Right. But again, right, what we choose to study and who knows why. Well, or why it's acceptable to have a pig's placenta versus your own. Well, because you have to go out and buy that one. You can't just make your own usually. So <laughs> perhaps just in a, in a approved kitchen. Approved kitchen. Right, right. Exactly. Got to go through the right formula. None of this, like, do it yourself, run wild. B to the state to. What was that? Pay the fee to the state. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Or to Amazon, because that's where you can go get it. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think we've got about 20 minutes left, and maybe we can segue into this GBS case study, if you will. Um, so there was a case of a newborn who was said to have gotten GBS from placenta capsules. And I'll go over the study in a second, just like the main points. But the reason I really wanted to touch on this was because I was at a birth in the hospital and the hospital staff printed out this study and gave it to the parents upon finding out that they wanted to take it home to encapsulate and consume their placenta. Which, if you're telling me that they did that because they just love informing their people of all the choices they're making, then shoot, right on, by all means, do it. However, uh, I've never seen that. That's the only time I've ever seen them print out a study and give it to a person in labor, okay? <laughs> a long labor, too. It's like at the end of it where everyone's like delirious. Um, yeah, I've never seen them print out a study on the potential risks of morphine that they inject people in labor with or fentanyl or epidurals or antibiotics or Pitocin. I mean, all the interventions they do, I've never seen them print. Let them, I mean, often not even talk about the risks unless they're asked to do so. So the conclusion there was, well, they only did that for, it was fear mongering and that's not cool. So it was pretty messed up, you know? Um, it also sounds like very opinion. Like, oh, I don't approve of it. Here's one, one study. Here's exactly. one story Yeah. That, that I've cherry-picked to prove my point. Exactly, 100%. And I get it. Like, I, like I'll kind of do that too, but sometimes where we all want to prove our point and we'll agree with the articles that maybe what we were already thinking I try to be and careful of that but the thing about going down the rabbit hole on google too like if you're looking for it to have a bad side effect you'll find it or if you're totally. looking for it to support your opinion you'll find that totally I mean yes we are all privy to that it's true for sure <laughs> and also one I try to keep that in check but two I'm not going to use that as a means to fearmonger people while they're in labor either like I just that was incredibly unprofessional I thought and rude um thankfully this couple looked beyond it and because they're free thinkers but anyways so I just recognize that this study has made its or not study sorry case study has kind of 
made its rounds in the community uh, and it deserves attention for those that have come across it. So I'll just go over the main points so everyone's up to speed on what the article is about, or the case study, sorry. Um, so let's see. La, 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 uh. Sorry, where am I? Okay, so this newborn uh, had early onset GBS shortly after the birth. They never specify what day it started. They say shortly after, and the newborn completed 11 days of ampicillin in the hospital and then was discharged. Um, right, it, they cultured baby's blood and you know, they confirmed it was from GBS. Um, the birth was uncomplicated. The maternal GBS status, so she took that swab test at 37 weeks. That was negative. Um, and then five days after the baby was discharged and had gone home, the baby was taken into the ER because, uh, you know, had some symptoms of something. And they cultured the blood again, and it yielded that the baby had uh, penicillin-sensitive and clindamycin-intermediate GBS. The mother, mother's breast milk was tested, and it was negative for GBS. Serial exams did not reveal source. I don't actually know what that means, but maybe you do. Serial <laughs> um, exams? No idea. Maybe listeners know. Uh, Eventually, they figured out that the mom had been consuming her placenta uh, in, in pill form. She had received them on day three postpartum and had been taking two caps three times daily. Uh, the capsules were cultured, and they yielded penicillin-sensitive and clindamycin-sensitive GBS. Uh, the infant was again treated with ampicillin for 14 days and also gentamicin for the first six days. Um, they isolated UBS from the placenta pills from the initial early onset GBS and then the late onset GBS. And from what I understand, it seems like they were indistinguishable. So it seems like they're saying like, yep, it was the same strain of GBS. So those are the main points. So, so yeah, this newborn had GBS, and this isn't really a podcast about GBS. We should totally have one, but if you don't know what it is, it can be a serious infection um, if it does happen, uh, but it's also pretty rare. It tends to happen in a mother who's is GBS positive, and when the baby comes through the birth canal, they can be exposed to the GBS, but also being exposed to it and colonized by it doesn't equal infection, but it could lead to it in a very small percentage of babies. Apparently this baby did contract it and it became an infection. Um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Moms tend to be routinely tested at 37-ish weeks. However, like this mom, like she was negative at 37 weeks. So that's either a false negative or a reflection 
of how transitory GBS tends to be. So it's kind of an argument for like, why are you even doing universal testing and routine antibiotics when positive, if in the end, in this case, they had to just observe, right? And realize, oh, okay, well, something's going on with baby. It didn't matter that she was negative. They still picked up on it, right? You know what I mean? Like if you don't test, then you don't get well, it's that false <laughs> sense of security too that there's nothing wrong, or it couldn't be that because we screened, but then it turned around and it actually was that. Right, right. The in the case study, they're like, yeah, they thought they started giving antibiotics just in case it was sepsis, which it wasn't. But right, just because someone's negative doesn't mean it can't come up, or that you shouldn't be looking out for it. And that's what yeah. they do in other, in some other countries, at least. Again, we should have another podcast on that. That just, we do things a little differently here with the GBS. Not everyone gets antibiotics in like many European countries. They don't just screen everybody routinely. Just, even if you have it, they don't just routinely give antibiotics either. Right. It's more of an observe the baby approach. See how baby's doing. Or observe the, observe the labor Exactly right. If mom develops an inf uh, a fever, then okay, maybe that's a reason to give antibiotics. Or prolonged rupture of membranes would be a consideration. And again, not just an absolute. But anyhow, that's another podcast. It is. I mean, <laughs> we, people do need some context here, like yes. what GBS is. But for exactly. that, that's it in a nutshell. Um, so in the case like the way they wrote it they did mention transmission from other colonized household members could not be ruled out and i would like to add well for that matter hospital staff and even other visitors that they could have had that weren't necessarily household members like that they weren't tested either i mean it's just interesting they put that in the paper because at the end of it they totally conclude oh yes this baby got late onset which is like after seven days of being born um, because the mother was consuming the placenta which maybe increased her intestinal uh, count and skin count of gbs and that's how the baby got it even though again her breast milk was negative which i'm like how could her breast milk be negative if she has such a high count on her skin from consuming it which I guess could happen, but I just, I just wonder, right? If it was that right. high. Right. Um, so. Lots of unanswered questions. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not trying to say that it's not possible that it was because she was consuming the placenta. I'm just saying, I don't think there's enough information from the case study for them to make such a claim um, or a conclusion that that's why it happened and that everyone should stay clear of consuming their placentas. Just seems like they were just trying to make a case for what they already believed or wanted to convince people that it was a bad idea because they believe it's a bad idea. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, in one, one, you know, one story, it's amazing how one story or one thing can change the course of like the future, 
right? So one story or one situation like this that gets uh, media publicized and, and the effects that that has on th that ripple effect, right? And that's mm -hmm. one in how many babies born or how many women that consume their placenta. Um, exactly. So that relative risk and the actual risk, right? And always going into making decisions based on like, what is your actual risk? And this woman sounds like she would never have considered she had an actual risk because she tested negative for GBS or whatnot. But, um, but then just knowing that like, that's, that is her story. That is that situation. Um, and that should not necessarily be a deterrent for what is right or true for every woman. But it is. I've had so many people, which by all means, if you don't feel comfortable consuming your placenta, if don't. you've tested PBS, <laughs> yeah, period, period, for whatever reason, don't. I'm not here to convince you otherwise. I just recognize how much this has been used to fear monger, and I see people like falling into the fear. Um, and it's just hard to see. Um, and I get it. It sounds scary. Yes, a GBS infection can be very dangerous. Like, of course, no one wants to play with that. So I'm not trying to play with that. Um, so I'm not like, know that I'm not just being willy nilly. I'm just trying to look at the facts and or try to make sense. Uh, just have a conversation instead of just like, oh, we don't know anything about it. And we're scared of it. And we're going to sensationalize one story to funnel you in the direction we want you to go. So I'm not into that either. So another thought, diving into the rabbit hole. So apparently the strain that they isolated was uh, known as, hopefully I wrote this right, ST17 club, which apparently has strong associations with late onset infect reinfections. So like it has a tendency to reoccur. So the case study article, the way it's written, they're totally saying the baby got late onset because it was reintroduced to GBS by the mother, right? But another potential was that it just reoccurred, the same infection the baby already had, just maybe they didn't suppress it enough with the initial antibiotic treatment and it just came Pretty back real. once it stopped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's totally a possibility too. Again, maybe not, but it just doesn't seem like they haven't, they just jumped to a conclusion super quickly. And or wrote what serves the purpose of the article to serve. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've, we just recently saw that in a article on midwifery in Hawaii that they kind of just dished out the piece that they wanted to serve. Totally. Or how midwifery legislation happened in Hawaii, where they only gave parts of stories. Yeah, right. And when there's only a handful of studies on placenta eating, and then one of the articles in the handful is this one case study, and that's actually, you know, like, 
they're going to be quick to jump to the conclusion that it's dangerous. And that's actually what I read somewhere. It's like, given that we have lack of evidence, but there is at least one strong case of it being, you know, leading to a poor outcome, then we don't recommend it. That was in the, I think in the American Journal of Obstetricians. It's like, we, we, they, they wanted people to strongly discourage it. Not just like we don't recommend it, like, no, please go out there and actively discourage people from practicing this because we don't have enough evidence, but we do have evidence one. that it can be dangerous. We have one study, one case. Right, how many babies get GBS and the majority is not getting it from placentas and or like even many of them. and. And how many people, like you said, are consuming their placentas and are doing wonderful? But right, we don't um, necessarily choose to study that. I had a client um, years ago who had someone in their family who was working at the hospital in pathology, like studying placentas, and they were trying to discourage her from eating her placenta because they said, well, you know, it's like the there's just trace amounts of of hormones and whatnot in there and we and i so we don't think that it's enough to make a difference and um you know but we know that micronutrients make a difference that mm -hmm. we know trace nutrients that's why there's all kinds of products that give you these trace mm -hmm. nutrients and powdered drinks and whatnot so um i found that interesting too that they're they are studying it and they're are trace amounts and um but apparently not enough to for this person who thought it was a disgusting habit or a disgusting mm -hmm. protocol um it served them to say there's not enough to make a difference as opposed to um hey maybe that trace amount is exactly what you need to have the balance oh exactly they're quick to discredit it just because maybe they're not finding ginormous amounts but why the assumption that we need ginormous amounts so absolutely great point and you know it's funny to me down the rabbit hole last night again somewhere like again a professional was interviewed and but they can't bring a professional on placenta consumption because there aren't enough studies on it to <coughs> anyone say they're a professional but you know they're like a, an OB gynecologist and they're like well you know the the placenta is just not sterile so that's just not safe to consume and I'm like what 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 do we eat that's sterile <laughs> like what <laughs> Where, how was that an argument against it I don't understand I was just baffled that that was attempted to be used against the consumption. well and if your placenta goes to pathology at the hospital like i would not recommend then consuming it raw because it's been out on a table chopped up by various instruments and you know been out of your body for x amount of days and yeah bacteria totally has the ability to build up in that amount of time that could be detrimental but if it's coming out of your body 
and into your own bowl and into your mouth, (laughs) you know, like it's a very, it's, it's less likely for there to be a negative placenta buildup in, in that, or sorry, bacteria buildup in that amount of time. So Mm -hmm. I think also like recognizing like, no, I, I definitely would not recommend if your placenta went to pathology, you should, you can do whatever you want, but I wouldn't recommend that you consume it raw like sashimi. Totally. (laughs) Yep. Yep. All right. That's something to take into consideration. And then the other thing I think the last point I wanted to make was just that like people eat jerky all the time. Like it's the same freaking concept. It's dehydrated meat. Okay. Yep. And you can marinate your placenta. <laughs> and people do. You want teriyaki oh. jerky? Yeah. Get it. Totally. There are recipes out there. So go for it. You know, <laughs> there's so many ways to embrace it if you want to. Um, it's just funny, you know, I mean, People eat meat all the time. And then, but all of a sudden, this is the problem. You know, this is what we have to be heavily critical of. Um, I did kind of put, want to put a plug in for a book by Robin Lim called Placenta, the Forgotten Chakra. So that's not really anything about consuming your placenta, but it just talks about how amazing the placenta is and just inviting us to be more mindful of, of the fact that it is an awesome organ um, and deserves more attention than it tends to get in the mainstream. So that's just a, a fun one. Again, you don't have to eat your placenta to love it and embrace it and respect it. Um, that just happened to be what we were fired up about today. So, so yeah. All right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So keep, being curious, ask people, you know, tell, ask about their experiences. Um, and if it served, they felt it served them and, and how, because there are many stories about how it serves women in different ways. I've had women where maybe not in the postpartum, they, they didn't feel like it made much of a difference, but when they started menstruating again, they used it, um, to help, um, with, irritability or when they've been ill that they've taken it to help in recovery um it can help with all kinds of things so um it's very blood rich um i've also heard folks say don't do it because it's like a liver but then you eat chicken livers because they're so nutrient dense you know so there's um so i just think it's really important to like, again, stay curious. Don't let one story shut down um, possibilities, you know, stay curious, ask questions, because this is um, information that is largely passed mother to mother. Um, And that's that evidence that nobody's researching or fewer researching. Yeah. So I know we're in the era of everyone needs an article to prove it. Like, well, can you prove it? Where it's a study. And that's cool. It's super cool. And that's got its place. But also maybe don't be afraid to embrace the ways of the ancestors, uh, which was, you know, women, like the wisdom that we would share from experience. So, you know, that's our invitation to lean into that too. So, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for working with me 
through my grogginess, <laughs> my morning grogginess. <laughs> um, and while I actually woke up through the podcast um, and hopefully <laughs> made sense, I hope I got something clear and concise across for you guys. <laughs> um, all right. It's, I think, I think it's, it's um, definitely sometimes the mornings are great and sometimes they're slower, but I think we did. I think we got through um, kind of what we were looking for and just talking about and taking apart this placenta encapsulation curiosity. The Totally. You know, so Be great. Curious. Well, thank you for tubing, tuning mm -hmm. in, folks. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. Aloha. All right. Toodaloo.